I'm just hitting record now because when we miss when we miss conversations like this, it's um <laughs> no, I had no planning for anything. Uh every every child of mine was a mistake, and I tell all of my kids that um they were a mistake. And I tell my kids that yes, I have favorites. And usually it goes along the lines of today, you're my favorite seven-year-old and I have twins. So it doesn't, it kind of backfires with them. So I say, you're my favorite, um, you know, eight-year-old boy because the twins are, are, um, you know, it's a boy and a girl twin. What do they call it? No, no, it's, it's good to be specific and it's good to demoralize them like that. Like never (laughs) let them, never let them grow beyond like, you're my favorite today, but what, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) <laughs> first of all everyone out there that's listening to the show today we're, we're talking with jeff richardson i'll let you introduce yourself what what do you do you're sitting with a newborn baby how how old uh so ben here is about 22 days old wow congratulations man now i know a why more than three weeks now i know why you ignored all of my uh posts and emails and any requests for anything because that's just what happens you know I would read awesome. them uh, at like four o'clock in the morning, delirious. And then I'd be like, oh, I really want to respond to Phil and like talk to him soon. And then, you know, I'd wake up and it would be like four days later. Oh, I, would come, I would come back into consciousness. Wait, so what is this? What, what we, we're talking about some sort of scale. Is, wait, is this, the, is this the first child or second or third or what, what are we on here? This is, this is our second child. Yeah. So, so my, my point was that I know you have quite a few more children than we do. You have eight eight children. Even my closest friend, one of my closest friends the other day was like, what? I thought you had nine. (laughs) I was like, no. At that point, I mean, at that point they become kind of rounding errors. Yeah. But you you had mentioned that, you know, you're allowed now for the kids to watch the other kids. And my point was that your horizontal scaling worked way better than our attempt at linear scaling. So we've got a, like, we've got a cluster up here because- what we're doing definitely needs better industrial scale. Yeah. Like when you're a new parent, I would say even at two people, everyone's reading that book. That's like what to expect when you're expecting. I think every mom has it. I'm sure, I'm sure maybe your wife or whoever has had that book or someone's seen it or something. We have, we have three or four copies of that book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, so anyways, this will apply to any IT directors out there that have kids, but yeah, I, I threw that away a long time ago. The, and you, you listen to all the, you listen to all the advice that other people have, or you look at what other people have, how their lives are and you start to compare and what have you been through? And the, everyone tells you when you have, when you get to three kids, well, oh, now you're outnumbered. I mean, that didn't, that did not apply to me. Three kids was, really not any more difficult than, um, than <laughs> this is awesome. Three kids was not any more difficult than, than two kids. Um, the number for me that was the hardest when we talk about scale, and maybe we can talk about this as like, you know, some sort of like, archi- maybe we can, we, we can make the metaphor into some sort of ar- like, you know, architectural network architecture metaphor, but for, or, or maybe an IT team, maybe this is more like an IT team, like four was, okay. the hard- yeah, four was the hardest number for me. Four was the hardest number. And then there's like a sine curve. And then after that I had twins. So 
my wife and I had, we, you know, we tried to like plan any of this. Like, let's have five kids. I always wanted to have five kids. I don't know why five was the number. It was just five was the number. I think that I knew like a, a C-level exec at Starbucks one time that had five and that just seemed like a lot of kids and he was successful and he was running around with five kids. And I, I don't know, maybe I so thought- you didn't miss, you didn't miss small here. I mean, you, you aim for five and eight. So, you will, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. so when we typical, got typical, typical IT project budget there. Yeah. All right. I see where we're going yeah, here. You know, <laughs> so three kids was like, like, I don't know what people are talking about. We're outnumbered, like no problem. Like we're, we're still good. You know, and they're smaller. They're smaller than me. <laughs> this is terrible. Then I got to four kids and that was, that was significantly more difficult for, for, for whatever reason was significant. And I then, feel like there is a metaphor there to managing IT teams though. Like if you're a manager of like one to three people, in theory, you can keep track of all of them. And like, there's a good management direct kind of approach to that. But when or you, you don't need to be organized or you can still be kind of like, you know, off the cuff, like just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. You get to talk. Very flat organization. Yeah. Limited planning. Let's yeah. together. <laughs> you know, like whatever right. it is. And, uh, but when I got to four, I don't know what it was. It was just, it was very difficult. And then my wife's like, well, don't you always wanted to have five? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. But, but like, who cares? Like four is great. Like, you know, like, no, we got four kids. This is good. Anyway, she got pregnant anyways. Yeah. She got pregnant anyways. And it was twins and it was twins. And at that point I was just like, okay, it's, you know, we're just going to be that family that has kids and has a lot of kids. And, uh, the twins from when we went from four to, to, with the twins, there was this just different, I don't know. You just have to, you know, people are like, how do you do it? Like, how do you live with eight kids? Or something? Like, well, I don't really have a choice. It's just kind of like life, like the human body will like, you know, change to, um, right. you, know, you adapt it to your environment. Adapt. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you just like, whatever happens, it's different. It's different. Um, so yeah, I have eight kids and it was, it, it seemed to be maybe easier. I think from the outside looking in people, I always ask people, does it, does it look weird having like, does it seem like, you know, like we have a lot of kids and they're like, yeah, it seems very chaotic. It seems like crazy. Cause I remember going and visiting people, you know, that, that would have like five kids and I, their house looked like a zoo. I was like, this is crazy. They're like how many kids do you have? You know, like I couldn't keep track and now we, I have eight. So I know we it have two kids insane. in our house. with like a zoo. So yeah, I know it looks insane, but um, yeah, I guess you embrace it more, but, but at eight, normal though, you've, You've built in a management structure of children, right? It's a failed, it's a failed management structure. It's a, again, it's a fa- like, like most management structures. So, okay. <laughs> so these are very good business parallels. It is. Okay. So, so what happens is whenever you move, so I've moved with the family from Colorado to DC to Massachusetts to Maine. So I've done four major moves. Yep. When we moved from Colorado to DC, I had three kids. Um, and then when we moved to Matt, when we moved to Massachusetts, I had had, I had six kids and then we had eight. So every time you move, it's like moving your like business, you, you're everything, you know, you got to move all kinds of stuff. Um, right. which is you're talking industrial scale moves. Yeah. Which is a good reason to be in the cloud. Okay. Let's argue, let's argue with the cloud here because that makes that a lot easier. Um, you got to change everything. Everything falls apart. All your checklists, all your marker boards, how you clean the house, everything just, just kind of goes by the wayside for, let's see, we moved in August 
And just yesterday, I was putting together corrective action forms, <laughs> in, internal corrective action forms for my children, <laughs> and my <laughs> and awards. Finally, getting your finally getting your TPS reports filed. Exactly, awards. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see, award lists, uh, cleaning lists, like daily checklists, nightly checklists, midday lunch checklist. So you moved mid COVID, right? August twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Okay. And that took you that long. Wow. All right. I couldn't imagine moving that long. Well, that story of that, the, the story of that was my father who's 80. So my dad's 84. He got cancer in January. It's a crazy story. It's not my, so my mother who has, my mother had dementia, really bad dementia. And she took a fall. And, in know, in like last year in, um, like 2019, uh, December, right. Like right before, right before new year's, uh, she took a fall and she had to go through, she like crushed like three, like a, a like a, like C, like C two threes, I, I, whatever it was. Some kind oh, of so like real serious. Oh man. When you get elderly, you get these, like, you know, your bones are like really brittle. So there's nothing they could do. It was just like, go to rehab, learn to like, but with dementia, when you, when you put someone in a rehab facility, it gets really bad for them. Like they get very lost. So anyway, she came back. Um, and literally the day she got back in January, my father was swatting like the, like the dog, they have a very bad, like they've always had a dog, but when you get a dog, when you're older, you might not be as energetic to train the dog. So they're a very untrained dog that jumps up the table, eats all the food, everything. So there's this big yellow lab running around the house, jumps up on the table, takes my dad's peanut butter muffin. He eats a, a cinnamon raisin, uh, um, you know, Thomas's English muffin toasted with, with peanut butter on top. He's done that like forever. You know how you have these things. This, is, this is your dad or the dog? This who, is my dad. Who gets that, this is my dad. Who gets that breakfast? <laughs> so he goes, he, he, he goes to put the muffin down on the table. Dog jumps over the table, eats it. He's like, like, God damn it. Like Rosie, like, you know, like, what are you doing? The dog's, dog's name is Rosie. You know, like, ah, you know, like you can hear that as I'm sitting in the living room with my mother right after she got out of rehab and she's back seeing them hear that. So he goes, he makes another muffin and comes back and puts that on the table and no kidding. Of course, the dog jumps up again to eat the muffin and I just hear him yell. And then I hear like a huge, like, Boom, like a huge thud. And uh, I hear nothing. And then I see the dog eating the muffin. And I'm like, that fall, that better not been my dad. So this is my COVID story for anyone who wants to hear this. I guess this is turning into Phil Howard's COVID story, but we'll we'll get to we'll get to something important in a second. But I come around the corner, I see my 84-year-old father at the time, now he's 85. He went to like basically like swat the dog or something like that, you know, like like hit the dog or something, you know, like at you know like why are you doing that? Get off the table. Take the dog like does like a juke like a like a football like like juke like jump you know leaps out of the way and my dad trips and falls hits his head on the brick corner of the brick fireplace, like right on the corner, like the worst part you could hit your head on. And I come around the corner, I see my dad knocked out on the floor and just blood pouring out of his head. 
Um, and I'm like, what oh, a nightmare. Yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? He knocked himself out like a UFC fighter. My dad's a huge UFC fan. He loves, he's like, hey, are we watching the fights tonight? Are we watching the fights tonight? And as I come around the corner, he's just coming out of unconsciousness, like knocked himself out and he starts to come to him and he calls me PJ. He's like, PJ, PJ, help me. I'm like, oh my gosh. I call 911. My brother's the fire chief in town and he's like a real high strung, like, like stereotypical, like, you know, fire chief type guy. Next thing you know, fire department's here. So the day after my mother gets out of rehab, my dad goes into the hospital. They do a CT scan and everything. They're like, doc, you're okay. He's a retired doctor. You're okay. We're going to stitch you up. Uh, The problem is we found a huge like lump in your neck. So from the fall, they do a CT scan to check his like neck, check it, check everything. They find like this massive like cancer growth in his neck. Goes and gets that tested. Doctor says, it's really weird. You have this very odd form of cancer that's like 99.99% curable. We just got to send you into radiation. Okay, I'm going to send you into radiation. Well, right as they're sending him into radiation, the whole COVID thing comes down. Right. And like, what's the worst thing that you can have? What's the worst thing that you can have while the COVID breakout is happening? Cancer. And what's the second worst thing that you could have? Having to go in for chemo and radiation during cancer. So I'm taking him in for chemo and radiation during like from like March to June. And during that time, he's I like, I can't imagine any more stress. It was just, you know, it was just wild, you know, it was just like give up on everything. I was like, that's why my, you know, like my podcast, like I wasn't doing many podcasts then, if any at all, or any of that stuff. And uh, so he has two houses. He has this massive, he had this massive house and retired doctor, you know, like in, he's like the stereotypical doctor, you know, golfed Wednesday and Friday. Um, you know, he's got this house in New England with like 14 acres of lawns that he mows himself, right? Because he'd never pay anyone. Like, you know, a doctor paying someone to mow his lawns, that's like, you know, doctors are cheap. That's very, very New England doctor. I like that. You know, so he, here he is with four, like a John, like, you know, this massive John Deere tractor, like, you know, and then like all these Kubotas, he's got a front end loader. He's got, he's driving these things at like 84. And now there's no way I'm like, dad, this is ridiculous. You're not going to do this. You're recovering from cancer. You've gone through radiation. He lost like, you know, but when they do, when they do radiation on your throat, you, you lose all ability to pretty much swallow. So now he's feeding himself through a tube. The stories go on and on. It's great. It's just insane. There was, there's some crazy stories, but so anyways, I had to help him sell his house, move out of that house that my parents lived in forever for before, since before I was born and move his house and move to Maine, move to his house in Maine, sell my house and move my eight kids to a new house in Maine. And it's just now, you know, calming down. So whatever that metaphor is to IT management, I'm sure that that's happened. I'm sure that there's been plenty of people that moved or all of their end users went to remote locations. Um, Whatever it is, that's, you know, like that's what I dealt with. So then after all this, all the smoke cleared, now I'm just now putting up the checklist for the kids, you know, as opposed to just management by, um, you know, by uh, by reaction versus management by responding. You know, a lot of times we manage by 
by uh, reacting to a situation like, oh, a ticket came in. We got we to gotta take care of that ticket. Another ticket came in. Oh, this, we're, we're constant break, fix, break, fix, break, fix. That's what it's like with a family of eight kids. You know, it's like you're going around pointing, like, pick that up, pick this up, sweep that, sweep that. Did you make your bed? Did you do this? Did you do that? No, it never works. It's an, it'll be a constant, like you want to kill yourself. And uh, so that's why with eight kids, you got to have like checklists, you got to have corrective action forms. You got to sit down like the other day, um, you um, hit your brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's not part of the value of this family. Let's review the values of the family now. This is a, you know, you're sitting down there with like, and you don't want to have a record like just because this does go on your family record. Let's compare that to a police record as well when you grow up and how you don't want to have a police record. I'm not kidding. Right. So you, you've, you've implemented now full HR, you've implemented a full <laughs> yeah. project management system. Yeah. You have to. So uh, anyways, um, yeah, with like, you know, constant, I'm like, we are now officially running a media, uh, like a, a, what is it? A, a meritocracy where we are now running a meritocracy. You will get a point for every time you do this. So many points will equal this. If you have more points than your other brother, you are better in my eyes. <laughs> now, is it, did you, do your bonuses pay out quarterly for this system? Or like, is this like a, like a year true up? How does this work? Exactly. It's still, again, we have to constantly review and go back because some things get stale and old and your old reward policy just starts to become not effective anymore. So I don't know. Sometimes that if it's like an immediate payout, like sometimes with kids, you know, they want like immediate gratification sometimes depending on the age. So you're, you're kind of flowing back and forth between, do I want to teach them patience or do I just want to feed them the Oreo cookie right now as their reward? And they can trade in one point for an Oreo cookie. Or right. is, wanna, is the next 10 minutes of quiet more valuable than like in a year from now they understand patience. Your mother and I want to go out to dinner. So here's the deal. Right now, if you do this, this, and this, I'm opening the Oreo cookie package. Everyone gets a cookie right away to begin while you start doing the cleaning. You get one midway through cleaning and you get one at the end. And your brother's in charge of this. So anyways, um, that was a long uh, winded story. Hopefully you guys out there enjoy this. Let's talk about, uh, but let's talk about you really, which is much more important. Um, and I can't remember some, what some of the highlights were we were talking about last time. Maybe you, maybe you do remember. Why don't you give me what you do on a day job and keep in mind that people listening to this show, we're trying to help them reach to this, you know, um, I guess you, I guess you could say it kind of like the, the super big, de- super big deal level that you are. Yeah. So, um, I don't remember anything, Phil, from the last time we spoke because since then, which was like five <laughs> weeks ago, I've gotten like 30 hours of sleep in the last five weeks. So not, not a great spot for me, but well, you're, good. you're a CEO. I mean, you're, you are a CIO, sorry, CIO. Um, uh, so that's a good point. Like how do you manage life and have a life and still reach a C-level director role at, you know, like, why don't we just talk about how you got where you got to begin with? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So um, that you are correct. My current role is is the is the chief information officer of a uh, of a division in a global life sciences company. Um, so pretty big, pretty big company. Lots of technology, lots of people, lots of data, lots of infrastructure. So right, right up your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, my my path to get here has been, um, I will say, pretty non traditional, but only because I embraced a lot of things that came up as you know, the last 20 years moved through technology and data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I kind of embraced a lot of that and kind of got lucky by moving through a bunch of those technologies. So I started 
So tip number one is you've got to get lucky or be blessed. You you must be blessed somehow to have fallen into the right wheelhouse. Okay. That's kind of hard to teach, but maybe there's- I I, I will say 90% of success in, in any of these positions is being in the right place at the right time or having the right conversation at the right time. Maybe that just means networking and networking with more people and more things will fall into your, you know, they say there's the old saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I don't believe in luck to begin with, but there's something to be said about that. So the, the more that I network, the more opportunities uh, show up for me, maybe. I don't know. I am a huge, I, I preach this to everyone that will listen and anybody who takes what I say seriously in like a mentoring position. Uh-huh. There, nothing replaces a good network. There, no amount of hard work will replace knowing the right person at the right time. Like, ab- absolutely not. So if, if you are a, a mid-tier person, a young person, someone trying to grow through you know, any kind of, of career trajectory, networking with the right people, right, making those connections. Obviously, the last year has been insane as far as like networking, but going to those going to those networking events, right? Talking to people, making friends with them on LinkedIn, right? Being engaging, right? Building up that social brand so people know your name. It's invaluable as far as like development and growth and getting those opportunities. But think about like how people apply to jobs right now. Um, Even the, the, I just changed careers like four months ago. And I think like to the job that I applied to, there was probably 500 applicants, right? How do you how do you stand out in a universe of 500 applicants or a thousand applicants? Did you go through right? a typical application process or was it someone that you knew that said, Hey, you need to look at Jeff. I did not. So I, I had kind of like poked around and, and made myself known to a recruiter. And then they, they reached out back to me because they knew me from, from networking. Mm. And it just got lucky. I happened to know like a, a reasonably random person in the right spot. And they kind of pushed my name up to the right person. And then once they start talking to you, then you can stand on your laurels and say, I've done this great thing, or I've done that great thing. Or like, this is how I can transform your business, you know, digitally, whatever. But there is no way you're going to be able to stand out in a sea of 500 or a thousand applicants, unless you know the right people. You know, most, most people I talk to now looking for jobs that, that are being successful have that in somewhere, right? They know that, that in the company referral, right? They know that executive, they know that that person. I heard a story of, of one of my friends um, who like went on a like a blitz campaign trying to apply for like a pretty seasoned executive um, technology job and uh, was like mailing gift baskets to people that they knew that they could find their addresses and stuff, right? And I mean that stuff works. It sounds corny as, as heck, but it works. No, I right? so so here was my idea. So I have this like theory on how IT directors should go about applying for a job. And mine was, why don't you sit down first and make a list of, I don't know, the top 20, 30, maybe if you're really a hundred companies that you want to work for, like very specifically, like I would love to work for this company and just start going down the list and pick out. And I think, first of all, I think startups or, or mid-market companies are, are fun because you can, you can grow them and everything. I mean, I guess you could say Microsoft, Google, Facebook, I want to work for these companies. Like some people have those type of companies in their list. I don't think that that's me, me personally. I don't know if that's the type of company you should go for. I think 250 to, to 2000 employees slash end users. Right. Getting, getting into the Microsofts and Facebooks is a different game than getting into the 2000, the 200 to 2000 person company. To me, that's boring. You know, like you're not going to really make a big impact there. I guess you could. I mean, I'm just saying it's like if for the people listening to this show and my 
philosophy or idea that is untested yet. Um, but it, I think a lot of recruiters that aren't listening to the show would agree with it. I think make a list of the companies that you really, really want to work for and then go after on LinkedIn, for example, go after the C levels and, you know, just find a way to get connected with them. Be like real honest. And like, I think your first question should be, Hey, if you don't mind, can I ask your advice? Because everyone, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. And then I think your advice, your question should be is, Hey, when it comes to technology and your current and your current company as it applies to, you know, growing the business, whatever it is, right? What's your single biggest, as a CEO, or what's your single biggest frustration, problem, or concern with your current, um, your, your, your current technology stack, whatever, your current, you wouldn't say that to a CEO, your, your current technology, period, end of story. And just see what he says. And then say, and then provide a solution to that. And then just say, hey, you know, because now, and you know, and then just stay connected and, and keep providing, you know, some sort of valuable input uh, because then, I mean, I just think that that would position yourself so much better than him when he's going to apply for a bunch of people or when he's going to look for a role and tells HR, hey, we need this. I mean, there, there you are positioning yourself as someone that could actually provide revenue or grow the company. You're, you're providing a solution to a problem they might not fully understand yet. I mean, you're telling, this is the Gary Vee approach, right, to networking and like career growth. Oh, is it? So you, okay. You, you, do you follow like Gary Vaynerchuk at all? I mean, I know who he is. Yeah, I, I know, I know who Gary Vee is. Um, I went, I went way down the Gary Vee hole in 2020, just being locked in my house without a lot of content to watch. Uh-huh. But he he preaches this constantly, and I mean, it works for him, it works for people he talks to. But it's it's make those connections, right? Talk to them, get in the door with something that's not like give me a job, but like here's my idea, here's how I can help you, and then see where that goes, and do that at some kind of scale where it's not like you know one person. You do it for a dozen or two dozen or three dozen people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the goal is timing and luck. And then, then once you get past that, right, then you can show off your skills. Yeah. Cause the majority of these companies has this kind of like rolling, I don't know what the average lifespan is of an IT director or CIO or whatever. It might be, you know, for the, I would say for a majority oh, of the, hopefully, companies. hopefully it's a while. <laughs> but for a lot of companies, they probably roll through a lot of guys, you know, they probably roll through guys. So if you've got a hundred people out there or 300 or people, company, uh, like a, we call that like the dream 100 list, right? Here's my dream 100 companies that I'd want to work for out of a hundred of those companies, someone's hiring people every 36 months. There, there's a there's a, there's a, there's some sort of algorithm to how often companies are hiring. Now, one company might have a very entrenched guy. I mean, I ran into a IT director that's been a company for 34 years, 34 years. How much has IT changed in 34 years? Well, I was in my last company for 16 years. So I feel yeah. think about what, think about what you saw over 16 years. Oh God, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, now this guy was still on Lotus Notes. <laughs> Which was interesting, uh, but, right? So maybe maybe he's not the great example to go look at. To say once you once you get past luck, there you can say, look what I can do for you in this in this this computer program that's twenty six years old. <laughs> I have an idea that might be very beneficial to your company and provide. Have you heard of macros? <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, okay. So point one, um, yeah. Make yourself known, know the right people, you know, some sort of blitz campaign or like, I like the gift baskets. The gift basket is a great idea. 
it's funny. I'm not sure if that worked. I don't know, but I thought that was a pretty funny, pretty funny yeah. starting thing. But we're back to snail mail. Have you ever noticed how communications go on this like kind of like sign curve? Like like email now. That's probably the worst way to try and get in touch with someone. Oh, e- I, I ignore almost all emails now. My, my my means of communication at this point are sometimes LinkedIn messages, but yeah, physical mail now trumps everything. This might be bad to say this publicly, but I have eighty one thousand one hundred and one unread emails. And I use email as a database. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not. I, I, this is partially in jest, but partially not. But my inbox at my previous job was so bad that one of the great reliefs of changing jobs was just like, "Oh God, the emails are gone." <laughs> I could start afresh again. I've thought about doing a nuke, like an email nuke, where you just like just hit delete all. But I know that there's email every now and then. I'll be like, "Oh, who was that person I spoke to like years?" Well, ago? the the tech show. I don't know if you if you follow. Uh, other podcast stuff, but Reply All, which was a great technology-based podcast, which self-imploded a couple weeks ago due to a, a bunch of like HR scandals. Really? Um, what happened? I remember that. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I love that podcast. A huge fan of, of the two guys that ran it, PJ and Alex. The show was great. Like I, mm-hmm. again, like it was something I found at the beginning of 2020 and like that helped me get through just like a good mental state. They're so positive and so helpful. They had email forgiveness day as a concept where they would do this and they would forget, they would, they would, they would declare it publicly. They were, you know, enacting email forgiveness day and they would just erase everything in their inbox and use that as a, <laughs> as a, as a starting fresh point. <laughs> I could never do that. I've thought of it many times, many times, but I know that there's like some weird contract or something that I saw. There's something somewhere that I need at some point and I search it and I'm right. like, Oh, 2013, it pops up and I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, but they were, um, they were looking into, uh, you know, Bon Appetit, the, the YouTube social media, like Bon Appetit series. No, they were, it, it's like, uh, it's cooking. It's like online cooking. I, I know what bon Appetit, I know the magazine and stuff like that. And, oh yeah. So okay. they were looking into this as a research project, um, into the toxic work culture there. Cause apparently it was like hugely, like it was a very bad toxic work culture. I don't know all the details, so I don't want to like spread the wrong answer, but it was, you know, it was pretty bad. And they were doing like a four-part expose on how bad the work culture was there. And they published the first episode of it, like kind of like as, you know, exposing how bad it was. And then all of the employees from the podcast basically came out and they were like, well, like maybe we shouldn't throw stones. And people were like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, well, everything you just described is how working here is. Huh. Um, and they got into like all of this, like it was really, really bad. And like since the podcast is now over, they canceled shut down immediately. Like they really got into it and it was pretty serious. Wow. This is like, this is why maybe this is another, this is a reason to not scale. <clears throat> this yeah. is a reason to not grow as they start hiring people. <clears throat> okay. Well, wait, uh, wait until your kids start filing HR complaints. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> I need to, I have a, I have a, I have a solution for that too. Believe it or not. It's called job core. It's called, I'm okay. sending you to, it's called, I'm sending you to job core where you, <laughs> you know what I mean? So essentially involuntary termination. I got you. We're, we're following this analogy through. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that about reply all that's uh that's too apart. You know, that's, which brings me up to, we do need to, I do need to start some, a new, I was thinking of starting a new segment of the show called that's a stupid thing because I have a friend that he, he actually went to go work for I st- when I was at this Cisco startup 
he ended up leaving and, and going to work for Microsoft. And I think he's just, you know, it's interesting when I talk with people that work at Microsoft, when you get into that company, it's like almost impossible to get fired because it's so big in the way that they communicate internal and, and put together these creative teams and everything. You can kind of flow from one like one section of the company to the other, like, I'm just not feeling it in this part, you know? And they're like, well, you should- I'm totally, I'm totally, I have a lot of friends that work at Microsoft and I follow their careers through and I can absolutely see that like in talking with them. They're like, well, I'm not really happy. So I'm just going to go do this for like two years in this team. And I'm like, how do you, is that like a thing you can do? And they're like, oh, you just network internally on teams and you just say, hey, you know, I want to kind of like, you know, do this instead. And like, oh, that sounds really cool. You should talk with so-and-so. They've got like a, you know, a, think tank over here and <laughs> thinking this is crazy. And I'm like, wait a second, how much do you get paid in stocks every quarter? And they tell me, and I'm like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 22. I'm like, what? I think at that size company scale though, like that actually works. Like you need yeah. 5,000, 20 person think tanks thinking stuff up so yeah. that somebody can go and then invent Azure, right? Or like invent like, you know, whatever next thing they're going to go do. Yeah, yeah. Like, like improve, like whatever little aspect of this video conferencing piece inside Teams. Um, Somewhere, somewhere there was a 20 person think tank that was like, you know what, like everybody hates Skype. Like, how do we turn Skype into something better? Like, (laughs) oh, well, like, like, okay, I see that there's Slack. Like, what if we just turn Skype into a better Slack? Mm. And now, now Teams has what, like 195 million users? I'm, if I had to bet on any platform, it would be Teams right now. Like if you told me, like if there's a gun to my head, the gun to your head questioning, I love this. I had a, I had a, a, um, what do we call this? Like a mentor, I guess, I guess like a mentor one time. And, and whenever I would have a hard time making a decision, you'd be like, Phil, there's a gun to your head right now. You've got three seconds before I pull the trigger. Three, two, one. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, um, like if you had a gun to my head and I had to choose like which, who's going to, who's going to take over video conferencing and, and, you know, cloud communications, I would have to go with Teams. You have to pick teams. Yeah, this is the buy, sell, hold, right? Uh, they're having like stock market conversations. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, am, I am firmly buy. I, I don't like it when Microsoft is able to leverage like their weight and put it against something like this and like stifle too. all their creativity. Yeah, me but too. It's, it's the office paradigm, right? Like they've perfectly put together the things you need to do like with Excel and, and PowerPoint mm-hmm. and Word. Like yeah. just like that. It's in teams. Like it works. Yeah. Like it just works. Like I was a G Suite guy for a long time. And now I'm thinking like, oh crap, how do I migrate all of this stuff? The only thing that's really annoying, here's the really annoying thing, is when you use other applications, like G Suite and Google, it's very, the, the open source stuff, all that's like very, very easy for people to build APIs into Google. Because it's all, it's all very open, yeah. Yeah, but but not for Microsoft. So I'll have like two or three applications. I'll be one like, that's it. Today I'm doing it, migrating everything to Teams. And then um, there'll be like three applications that I use and I'll go to look for the API into Teams and there's no calendar API. Right, because they've got to be certified in the ecosystem and you can't have like one guy in like Poland who made yeah. this great app that becomes like a phenomenon. It's got to get certified through some sort of delivery mm-hmm. system, which... I don't know. Again, like, I need to get a job at Microsoft and be like, Hey, how do we solve this? Can we just talk about it and get, pay me like half a million? Um, (laughs) Just one year of stock options. I'll be fine. So yeah, it's like the reverse. um, What was that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with the um, running man? It's like, it's like in real life, running man doesn't happen in, in real life. Like the game show wins. 
You know, like in real life, uh, for the millennials out there, what's the Mockingbird? What's like what Hunger Games? In like in the real games, it's right. Know, it's, it's just well, I think in Running Man, I think they, the game show was meant to win. Like they were all meant to actually not win there, so that also makes sense. Anyways, yeah. Um, so there, there's my uh, there's my love hate relationship with with Microsoft. Um, I love the idea though of a segment something like. Something oh, so like that was a bad thing. idea. Yeah, it's a stupid yeah. thing. So we would have these things. We would have something that would happen. You know, you'd have a meeting. You know, senseless meeting, stuff like this. And, and, and me and my friend would be like, "That's a stupid thing," and like it would just, we just, it caught on like this little catchphrase like within the company, and people would be like whispering like, "That's a stupid thing," and uh, so we just need stupid. We need to have like a segment, I think, of you know, like that's a stupid thing. There's got to be a stupid thing. You know that happened. That that only works though if like in six months or a year you come back to those and then like point out all the ones that you were completely wrong about. Like oh Zoom, like nobody's gonna want Zoom, and then now <laughs> it's worth forty billion dollars. Uh, well, I was using Zoom before anyone even knew what was Zoom was, and I was back when I was working in the corporate world. Still, like you know, Zoom was providing their platform to everybody, so most people didn't even know that their video conferencing platform was Zoom until Zoom until COVID hit. And they're like, oh wait a second. Oh, AT&T's video. Oh, that's Zoom. Oh, oh, uh, Windstream's video. Pla- oh, that's Zoom. Oh, oh, uh, Ring Central's video platform. Oh, that's Zoom. And then, um, yeah. So there's a lot of them. There's a lot of those white labels out there. Right. So using that as an example, I would have said, "Huh, that's a dumb idea." You would have been like, "You're a fool." And then we could come back now, and you could be like, "Oh God, look how look how right Phil was." <laughs> True. Um, now, I'm calling so dibs on a, on a recurring spot on this on this bit in your show. Okay, okay, good. So that so then, um, well, so the first, so my first, my my first, um, I don't even know that. I want to be a, so this would be a stupid thing, but this would be a prediction. My prediction would be that um, I should be careful because I. I, these, these, I have a very close relationship with both, both, all of these vendors, Zoom, Microsoft, and Ring Central. But I would be worried if I was Zoom and Ring Central about teams taking a very, very aggressive, aggressive run at putting them out of business. Yeah, you can generally count on Microsoft, though, not doing an aggressive run because they always smash into the European antitrust law, right? Mm-hmm. So they always do, they do a just enough run where the competitors could never beat them, but the competitors exist forever. Mm, I hope so. Right? Like that's, I don't, Microsoft will never be so, so bold. What's going to try happen, to put, What's gonna happen though, when people realize that they could just use some kind of like direct routing partner and pay 25 cents a DID and, and $20 per call channel and cut their um, entire communications bill by- Like their, their phone 60%. bill by, yeah, yeah by exactly. That, like, what, what yeah. What's going to happen? How do we? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're we're doing that right now. Like, and we we manage sites around the world, and we're doing exactly that. Like, phone numbers are becoming Teams numbers, and that's it. Yeah, it's a it's a. So, anyways, um, I don't know where we're going. We were going with how to get a good job as an IT director, how to also manage a bunch of kids uh, during a. Um, so I do I do like the idea of, of helping people though find that career mobility, especially now because. I feel like there's like 14 months of people who are just pent up, frustrated in their jobs, maybe, and they want to do that, like, look for that move. Go reach out to people that you see on LinkedIn who are the bosses of the people that the job that you want is. And just connect with them. Throw them a one-liner, right? Talk about 
anything they seem to be posting about, right? Do they post about like camping or whatever, or Peloton? Yeah. Um, and then just everybody wants, if they have a Peloton, they'll talk about their Peloton. So go talk to them about Peloton and there's like a 40% chance you're going to find a best friend anyways. Or then go get a Peloton, join their same group and try to beat them in their like gamification mode or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that would, I don't know how I would react to that. No, no, no. That, that's, <laughs> the, the Peloton. that's a horrible idea. <laughs> don't do that. See, that was a stupid thing. There we go. There's a stupid thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the good thing would be send them a gift basket. I like that idea. Send them something. Send them something a- to stand, something to stand out. Right. That's always like, it's what vendors are doing now that we can't have. I, I've noticed this a lot and like, we can't accept a lot of gifts at my job. Um, but like a lot of vendors are now like, you know, instead of like come to this, like, you know, whatever, we're going to have a networking event where there's going to be some free beer. It's like, I'll just mail you a, a case of beer. If you talk to me. Hmm. Right. And it, it's, it's, borderline, you know, kind of illegal in most, most organizations, but like, you got to stand out somehow. So as I'm a person, like personal protectors. I still haven't, the pocket protectors just came in like last month and I've got to sit down and I've got to put all these packages together by hand. I'm sure there's some guy out there that wants to do this for me. I've got pocket protectors, I've got nerd glasses, and then I'm asking all kinds of other vendors like, Hey, do you want to put something in this gift package for IT directors and CIOs and CTOs that are um, have been on my podcast or people that I want to have on my podcast. Right, that's how they're gonna. That's how they're gonna. It's all branding. It's like you know, big company branding and personal branding. Yeah. So, so gift basket, great idea. Okay, what are we on? To, what are we on to next? What's the? Let me ask you this: What has been your biggest learning moment in your career? Slash biggest like. I just remember this day. I can remember this day and how horrible it was and how I came out of it. And I'm still here. The, uh, I mean, that's such a deep question. I wish I had more than five seconds to prepare for that. I will say kind of tying into your, you know, that's a stupid idea versus like my sort of brainstorm. Um, like the, the sky opened up and I saw the light concept was uh, like nine years ago, I was the huge, like the, the, the largest single um, trash talker of like public cloud vendors, probably in North America. Sweet. Who was your most um, hated person? My most hated cloud vendor was, was absolutely Microsoft. I did not understand like <laughs> the Azure concept. Like I was all about like, let's go buy racks. Let's buy more rails. Let's buy bigger rails so we can put bigger, bigger servers in those rails. Like uh-huh. how much Silicon could I possibly hold on? Like, you know, some like quarter inch thick metal. Mm. And what I found, like we were, you know, working on these large scale data applications, right? And I was like, you know, even then we were collecting data from, you know, distributed around the world. So essentially from the cloud. And I was like, well, let's bring it all on premise. We're going to process all of it. And like, just die hard. Like, this is a stupid idea. It's never going to work. Right. Um, and we did that for a while. And then like, there was like this like three week period where like every single day, every job we had failed for capacity reasons. And we went and bought like a bunch of new hardware and threw it at it and tried to like make this sort of like Frankenstein cluster of like capacity and like nothing worked. And I remember this like so vividly. We took the workflow and the data and like one of the guys that was on my team was like, well, let's just try this out. And I was like, fine, like we got to think of like, we have to be more creative than this. And I'll never tell somebody, you know, not to be creative and go look for like a new alternative. Um, I was just like firmly embedded in my stupid ideas. So we tested it out and we put like some information in the, it was like the first iteration of like a parallel data warehouse in the cloud. Um, like before, 
before like Databricks commercialized Spark, Microsoft had a couple offerings where it was like, I think they called it the PDD or something. It was the original Azure Data Warehouse, which became Synapse. We put this workload up there, whatever it was, and like this thing that had failed for like three weeks straight every single day was taking like 16 hours. We ran it up there for like, it was like $55 for the day to run it. Um, and it took like an hour. And that was it. And I was just like, oh yeah, okay. I, I could see why this is going to work. Huh. And the cost was like so trivial. It was like, like one five thousandth the cost of what we had just spent on hardware. So like even like the capitalized cost of the hardware, like it dwarfed that. Do you think there's still people with that mindset? Oh, I know there's people with that mindset. I mean, I, 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 I talk to those people now more than ever. Um, mainly it's people now where they the entire industry is very stuck in that mindset. So again, like I, I work in a, in a global life sciences company, like people putting healthcare data in the cloud is, is still very, very new. Um, and you, you learn that with like pharmaceutical companies, you know, the data behind that, like wherever there's like personal and, and very sensitive data, people are less apt to go put things in the cloud. But what we're seeing now, like as an industry overall, is one, it's much, much more common for an adversary to attack your on-premise infrastructure, gain access to it, and hold you at ransom. So in many cases, public cloud vendors are much safer than your on-premise infrastructure. And then the scale at which you process data for these things, like think about COVID vaccines, right? How many, how many people they had to put in trials, get data on, how many data points there were, how you process that information. You can't really do that on-premise anymore in, in a data center. So you put that in there and you can process that much faster. Where before, you might have six months to collect data on a, on a trial and then six months to go process that data. Like think about how fast those COVID vaccines came out. Like they did the trials. You can't speed up the amount of time you need to put a shot in somebody's arm and test what happened in the person's body. But once they were done with that, they had the data analysis done in like 48 hours. Right. So again, it's that public cloud scale of like massive, you know, compute clusters and spark. Um, so, but you still see lots of companies in that industry not wanting to embrace like a full cloud stack for, for sure. The, what's the, where do you begin with those guys? Um, usually it's, it's, you know, I used to be just like you. I used to be the biggest trash talker. And then this is what happened to me. <laughs> you start with a story. So show them, show them those like little victories that you can get that are like easy to roll out, easy to do. So like a company like Snowflake, right? It's easy to like use as like a, as a, as a partner there because you can be like, oh, you got all this data and you can't access it. And like, you know, you've got this, this like archaic SQL system on premise. That's like sort of spaghetti through a bunch of computers and servers and things, right? And it's slow to back up and you're, you're not really sure if your business continuity plan even works. Like you don't know the last time that your backup offsite even ran successfully. Mm -hmm. And you dump that data into something like, like a Snowflake or like a Teradata or an Azure Synapse or whatever. And you're like, well, now you know it's backed up. Oh, and by the way, you can query those 6 billion records in like 14 seconds. Mm. And scale that out like a bunch of other, other things. Or, you know, the other side of that is come at them from, from the exact opposite angle, which is here are all the things that are already in the cloud that you don't realize are in the cloud. And those are the things that work every day that you kind of don't talk about. Like, have you ever noticed that now our intercompany communication, chat, message sharing, and video system works really well? Well, it's because it's in a tenant that's in Azure that's scaled across like three different uh, 
data centers in the Eastern US. And the, the Microsoft network's all right. It's okay. It, I mean, again, like it pains me, but it works. <laughs> it's probably one of the biggest, you know, biggest, baddest, you know, as far as from an, you know, built out infrastructure worldwide network. I mean, if you can, if you can piggyback off of that in any way, it's probably going to save some significant costs for, for you. I think Amazon is still beating them in like number of data centers and number of of things that are plugged in inside those data centers, but it's a very close race. The so fascinating. The I'm trying to think of what what the summary is there. I don't. The uh, I mean, I guess if I had to summarize this. This, this conversation, which now looks like a, my child drawing on a treasure map, um, network, absolutely go network to go, you know, career advancement, full steam ahead. And feel free if you're listening to this still and somehow you've made it this far into this, um, into this journey of conversation, feel free to go find me on LinkedIn. I'll be the first person to start talking to you and connect you with other people in like various industries. Um, happy to do it. Love doing that for people. Um, but networking is key to that. Uh, and then, you know, don't feel bad about embracing the bad decisions and bad stances that you make and changing your mind about stuff. Uh, certainly about technology. Like the next big thing is always going to be the thing that you look at now and say, my God, that's stupid. Because I look back from even like two years ago now and I still don't understand TikTok. Like I don't get it, but it seems to be a big deal. So I know what it great. was. You have two things that you have one, you have like one aspect to yourself that saved you on that. And that was, I never turned down like someone else's creative potential or creative right. solution to a particular problem. But at the same time, you're very stubborn and arrogant when it came to your trash talking of Azure or whatever it was. So that's, it's interesting because would you say that the majority of technology leaders have a certain level of stubborn arrogance to them that I'm smarter than everybody else in this company, so it has to be this way? I would, I would, I would not say most of them. I would say, like statistically, like the, the law of like large numbers there, like all of them with a, some <laughs> kind of rounding error, like not being that way. <laughs> to some degree, you don't get to that position unless you were like stubborn about the things you wanted to do and move those forward. It's the, the really successful kind of people that become like absolute stars in the industry are the ones who can like have that level of stubbornness and push forward an idea and then look at that idea and then change as well. Many of them today kind of do that and then they get stuck on that one idea and they never pivot off of that. So a lot of times like if you're that level, like that manager, that analyst, that director level, like, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, right? There is that, that IT, you know, junior executive to executive, who's like really stuck on whatever it is and like, won't get off of it. And it was massively successful and propelled them to where they are. But, you know, over the next five years, they've got to either pivot or it's going to be a problem for you. It's kind of, it's that, it's that move, lead or get out of the way mentality. So. <clears throat> for people 
so there's a so a everybody's stubborn and arrogant in the technology leadership in the technology industry. Everyone's smarter than everyone's the smartest person in the room. Yet, to grow in your career, we need to be able to maybe. It, it, I don't want to say like attack each other because that's not really it. But like, if you wanted to go make a difference in another company, you could easily go to another company and say, Hey, look, you've got all this on-premise stuff. It's uh, susceptible to ransomware attacks. Um, there's a way to scale faster. There's a way to be more efficient and save money at the same time. And this is how you do it. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's two ways to really be successful, like in the technology industry. One is to absolutely bet on like the next big thing and kind of be like way too brash and way too arrogant, try to push that forward or be like a good soft skills person who can also balance technology and then just help challenge people and push them forward. I've been lucky. Like as I moved up in my career, my managers, my, you know, my directors that I've worked for, the vice presidents, the senior vice presidents, the CIOs that I've worked for have always been so open to that kind of like mentality that it's, it's let me grow into more success. So I've kind of, I, I got to ride in the wake of somebody who was already good at this, right? And who is that exception? Many, many times. So are you saying the good, and that exception was the good soft skills and challenging leadership? Um, or was yeah. it the next big thing and you're being a brash, like, no, this is what we need to do. Like jam it down. You're saying like almost like just champion this, this new thing. You've got to, you've got to be the champion of the of the new thing, yeah, for sure. Um, but you've got to do it in a way that has like those good skills. And like that, again, like the last fifteen years of that has been great. And like even like you know now I get to see this in a new industry. There's also those people that I get to work with now and move forward. So it's it's great if you can do that. You've got to luck into that a little bit, or be that person that makes that change. The top. So those are two things. But what are the top three things? that you would use to prove that this is the right decision? What are the, the top? Yeah. Is it money? Is it, is it, um, is it um, efficiency and production? Like what, like what is it? Like what, what are the three things that they're going to use to prove to uh, executive management? That you were the right decision to hire? Or that you that, made the right technology. It could be. It could be that you are the right decision to hire, but it could also be. I want. I want to give uh, people listening to the show use these three things to prove your point. Either a that you're the right decision to hire, or this is the right decision, and we're going to approve this on the budget. And we're gonna yeah. So the 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 best way to measure that, and it's really hard to measure in a technology standpoint, because what you want to be able to prove is that I'm going to make your life easier. I'm going to solve these problems, and I'm going to make. I, need, I will make your business problems go away with a solution that inevitably isn't visible to you, right? So how do you, how do you prove that what you've done was the best thing possible when the best thing possible is almost always invisible, right? And it becomes, it blends into the background. So the, what you need to prove to those people is that you're going to make their problems go away. And they, everyone's got a list of five or 10 massive problems they can just list off that's bothering them right now. I don't have access to good data or it's inaccurate or this is slow or this thing keeps crashing or like we should be able to like, you know, have better distributed call centers or whatever it is, right? I'm going to solve that problem for you is, is how they would measure that. And then once you are successful in that, you've got to go sell that to them and say, I solved it for you. And yes, it's invisible now, but here's why it was good. 
Excellent. For the most part, like obviously cost is always important, right? Like everyone is worried about cost, but if you can if you can solve the right business problems, cost becomes trivial because what you're doing is essentially making up for whatever that cost with yeah, some kind of return. For, people pay anything for like yeah, more sales, right. more sales. Uh, hey, I'll, I'm I'll, not I'll, sure that I answered your question, but I, that that was my my immediate thought there. I, I'm kind of fascinated by this invisible thing. A solution that is invisible. But, but think about like how like a great tech, a great right. So going back to like your history, right? A great phone system at a company, right? A great communication system at a company. Nobody wakes up every morning and like gets on the phone and starts talking to customers and clients and like does video calls all day. And today says, "My God, Phil did such a great job setting up like a globally redundant communication network that is so amazing that all of my calls were crystal clear." He is a great IT executive. <laughs> right? They just, they end their day and they don't even think about like that, that was good. Now, they if their calls to. crashed all day, teams crashed 50 times, they couldn't share their screen because there was like a tenant issue with capacity. End of the day, they're just going to be swearing you up and down. Your success is that nobody knows you existed that day. Yeah. Yep. It's sad. I mean, it's a really sad universe to be in. It's a sad thing for, for MSPs that are out there um, serving small business. It's, it's even sadder for them because the small, the small IT guy in, in town that's serving all the small businesses, he's constantly has to, I, I tell them like, look, here's what you need to do. Just go in and break some things so that they see that, that you're worth paying for. Because really they, it's, it's, they pay for you to not have it. What they don't realize is that they're paying you so that they don't ever have anything go wrong. But when nothing's exactly. going wrong, they start to say like, well, why am I paying this $1,500 or $2,000 a month to this IT guy? When I run this small business, I can just, everything seems to be fine. I'll just fire him. Right. That, that's the hallmark of a, good, of a good executive, right? That's one of the, the most important skills that you can have as a technology leader is showing the value of what you're doing to the business every week, every month, every quarter when nothing goes wrong, right? These are the things that we're doing that are excellent. And, you know, you have had seven months ago, you had 35 different days of phone outages. And over the last three months, we had zero. And you've got to constantly beat your own drum and like talk about how good you're doing at those things that they find invisible, right? If you're an analytics leader and your reporting system is always accurate, always up to date, always timely, and the reports are always insightful, after six months, everyone's going to ask why you're still employed. And it's because you keep that working all the time, right? You've got to go sell that and say, this is why it's good. It's the same thing with like across any area of IT, whether it's infrastructure and managed services or data and enterprise systems. Like once you become good at your job, your job is then to sell that you're good at your job in addition to being good at it. Yeah. That's great advice. The, it, has been, uh, it has been a super pleasure. Excellent pleasure talking with you. I did no commercial breaks. I don't have any commercials really. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be so blessed to have commercials to this in the future, which no one will really like. But if you do like listening to this show, then please, the again, the four major sources of marketing traffic in the world are Facebook, Amazon, Google, and when it comes to podcasts iTunes or whatever it is on Apple. So please Google dissecting popular IT nerds. And when you see the little iTunes or whatever it is for Apple, please click on it, scroll down, give us an honest review. 
um, you know, four stars, five stars, one star, if it was really that terrible and uh, give us your comments. would really appreciate it. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Phil, thank you very much. This was fantastic. Great conversation. 